0: It's maybe not so difficult to get One Sensational Shot.
1: Something seems really dumb about this, but here we go. A very warm welcome. You're listening to the One Sensational Shot Network. This is The Evening Glass with Fletcher Walton. I'm joined once again by Comedies' Aidan McCaffrey. You and I have just got back from seeing Todd Phillips' Joker...
0: Day one, because we're massive DC fans, aren't we?
1: Apparently so. I'd, which <laughs> ones have I seen? I saw Man of Steel <coughs> at the cinema. And what are the others? Didn't see Suicide Squad. Didn't see Wonder Woman, although I wanted to. I wasn't opposed to seeing that. Yeah,
0: You've ironically not seen the one that was actually quite good. Yeah, yeah. Of, of
1: all of those films, I think even among the Marvel pictures, Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman is like top three or four of the best um, superhero pictures of the last 15 years. People, isn't it,
0: really? I know people do argue that, yeah, and it's mm. pretty solid. Before we kick
1: off with our, our hot off the press opinions on it, we saw it. at uh, uh, Man alive, how did you get me out so early? It was a, it was an eleven forty-five screen and it started at twelve fifteen. That's the, the earliest I've seen a film since the first Lord of the Rings, I think. Wow, what time did you see <laughs> Fellowship? Around that time, yeah. yeah we right. we will have gone to the very first screen in a me and man, my cinema crew from. Well, it wasn't twenty years ago. No, it was eighteen nineteen sure years ago. Pretty sure I've done
0: ago. a ten a.m. one before. Uh, cause I because sometimes, especially in Oscar season, I'll try and cram in four or five in a day. Mm. We've got to start at like 10. You've done as many as four in a day? I've done five in one day. Go on then, Which, what was it? What was the I up? have to look at my list of stuff, but it's, some, it's something like Prevenge, La La Land, uh, the Lego Batman film, I think. Cause yeah. There's two days where I've done fives. It, what, a lot of those films are, were quite short though, do you know what I mean? I think the Lego oh, yeah, Batman yeah. was quite short, I think Baby Driver was quite snappy... I think it's a bit long.
1: And yes, admittedly, if you top-to-tail, back-to-back, leave, you leave the credits immediately and jump in oh, yeah, exactly. as eight minutes before the next film starts. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So you can kind of go like 11am, 1am, 4pm, half-six, then then still get a bite to eat and see. Now, but again, the, as soon as yeah. it sort of to be short. You couldn't do it if you're watching, like, um, if the, all the assassination of Jesse James by the Coward <laughs> is not going to work. But if you've got some nice snappy... Uh, Things like Lego Batman in there. Yeah.
1: It's all right. You could definitely get the first four or five Coen Brothers films done pretty swiftly. Yeah. They're all uh, 90 to 110 minutes. Uh, right, the background for this is that Aiden and I have been tracking Joker for about a year, When as soon as Joaquin Phoenix was cast.
0: That was what pricked our ears, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, it, we're
0: actually, j- joking aside, we're not that fussed by DC. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. even that fussed by Marvel. No. I am. Uh, DC, I can take or leave. I have a bit of franchise fatigue, like how many jokes are we going to get? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like the second new warning, like two years, if you count, um, uh, (coughs) excuse me, I'm slightly ill, if you count Leto. Yeah. Um, But Phoenix pricked our ears. It's not just that he's a great actor, it's an unusual choice for him. It's like we were saying last time, Robert Pattinson now doing, having spent years just doing indie films that hardly anyone watches, is going to drop like a new Batman film and the new Nolan film within a year or two of each other. So something's clicked in his brain there. Yeah. Um, with uh, And then now Phoenix is doing it. He's been shunning stuff for years. He nearly got Doctor Strange, a Marvel property. That was toyed with. And he said no when it went to Benedict Cumberbatch. And now he said yes to a Joker film from the director of The Hangover and Old School. Is that right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Now, me and Tom Phillips go way back. I saw so many of film, his films at the cinema. Road Trip, Hangover, School for Scoundrels. I saw at the pictures as well. Joaquin Phoenix is, in my opinion, and largely in the opinion of Aidan as well, perhaps the best actor working right now. Yes. Best male actor working, and I think that Casey Affleck is coming up behind him, and alongside him... Especially
0: now that Day-Lewis has quit.
1: Yeah, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's gone. Christian Bale is there too, but there's no. I think there's. it's not really worth having an argument that there's a better male American actor working in Hollywood today than Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. And for him then to go with Phillips, now the last Phillips picture I saw at the picture was Gun Bros with Jonah Hill and Miles Teller. I I wrote a little (laughs) bit about it on the website when it came out a couple of years ago. It felt like a bloke whose dramatic reach had exceeded his comic grasp. And also, like a fella, what had seen Adam Mackay's successful transition from Hollywood comedy into awards fodder with The Big Short, a very successful drama... uh, and um, reckoned he'd have a go, and he could not do the same. It felt like a redo of The Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, Blow by Ted Demi. It was any of those period set rise and fall pieces that are characterised by the entire thing being in a cloud of cocaine dust. That didn't work for me, and I thought that was probably it for Phillips. Even though I had thought that ever since ever since the early days when he um he directed a documentary about G, G. Allen, I thought that Phillips had an edge to him an adult edge to him, and that there was there was still within him sophistication untapped and also uh, a greater commitment to cinema than most I, current uh, comedy directors have. This I, is something we talked about. As I, you say, it's always filmed improv, isn't it?
0: I agree. Like, you know, Judd Apatow often gets held up as was the saviour of uh, comedy. But I, yeah, for me, filmically, he never fulfilled it. Principally because he doesn't know how to edit his films down to a reasonable level. Yeah. Um, but, but also because, perhaps cinematically, it's not like he's it's far from being Edgar Wright. Now, that's also true of Phillips. But I just was always sort of slightly impressed but visually by his films. Like even mm. I don't love The Hangover, but I always thought, oh, this, it's, quite, it's weirdly grounded. He's taken a high concept, and it's sort of grounded aesthetically. And I quite like that. It's not like these films like Anchorman 2, where it's just... Plagued by bad blocking because they're mm. they're setting up each shot for impro, not for 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 the visuals. Um, so it's actually a, a, not a massive surprise to see that he's trying something more ambitious. And with and Joker, it was, yeah, and it with was, Joker. Sorry. In
1: prospect, it was pleasing, and then as details dripped through, as it became clear that it had been Scorsese's property, but then he moved away from it. But De Niro was staying with it. We were interested optimistic and it really felt like there's no way that phoenix was going to put his name to a project unless he was certain that his performance could be watertight and that it was substantial and this would actually contribute something then the trailer dropped a few months ago and i realized holy smackerel this really does look like someone's understood that it's time for uh new york 1981 paul schrader martin scorsese so it seemed deeply influenced by that style and yet um not necessarily copying it entirely and I think that's been proven in the film that we've just seen but that trailer really made it look like hold on if you're a cinephile and I'm sure if you're listening to this you probably are you can probably tell when you're given a trailer which is all the best bits of a film and that's one thing but another another thing entirely is a a trailer for a good film which has its own mood and is developing its own point of view and that's what that Joker trailer felt like and then it got Venice and it it felt so undeniable that I then began to doubt myself <laughs> and wonder, maybe there's a, an element of groupthink here, or perhaps it's just Todd Phillips' year in the same way that people, I think people went nuts last year for Luca Guadagnino's remake of Suspiria, which when it came out was uh, a, a Chorus of Threes. Yes. Um, there was some some fun with Tilda Swinton in there, I didn't get to see it yet, I like the original, I do like Dario Argento, and I loved Call Me By Your Name, but... In prospect, it was uh, much better than execution,
0: based on what other people have said, because we haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, oh, it was *Suspiria*. Yeah, yeah. And another key factor, an interesting key factor in my anticipation for this picture, is the the creative driving force behind it, Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips has, from the very beginning, dealt explicitly in maleness and in the male homo social, right from his documentary *Frat House*, which influenced *Old School*. Starsky and Hutch, Hangover, Due Date, School for Scoundrels, all of these pictures uh, explore, simply put, what do blokes get up to when women aren't around? When they're deprived of women, when women are excluded, and particularly when women are unnecessary to their growth and their maturation. You see it in a film like Old School, where the the female parts are underwritten for a reason because they're not important to the development of the men, Vince Vaughn and Will Ferrell and Luke Wilson, they may receive female approval and attention for the uh, growth that they make, but that's not why they're doing it. That's not important to them. It's more about male bonding. It's more about being men together. With that in mind, I wanted to see what a director who is interested in those things is going to do with a character like Joker. So now if... <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. So now we've seen Joker, we got along to the earliest screening we could. 11.45, we got in there at 12.05, we're watching the film at 12.15. Todd Phillips, Joker, what do you reckon?
0: I was really impressed with it. I sort of went in with low expectations, partly because it tapping into what you were saying, like this guy's watched early Scorsese and he's sort of, you can tell he's schooled on that. I was a bit paranoid going into it that it was just going to be all influence and not have anything to say. Mm. Like, uh, it would be somehow feigning the style and themes of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. I was aware from some reviews that uh, those were big influences on this. I have seen them both. I've seen Taxi Driver a billion times. But I re-watched them both this week, just kind of a little prep. And, and I was really impressed with Joker. I thought, another thing that's coloured the... I'm just sort of saying this to give some context to what I was thinking going in. A lot of talk about the alt-right in culture uh, and social media going into this. And coming out of it, I'm a little bit baffled as to why. Because it strikes me as a film about mental health, victims of mental health, and how they and that intersect with media and gun culture in America. Or not even gun culture, but just the culture of violence you have over there. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it's really, really relevant, you know, and I think I spent a lot of the films trying to debate, like, is it bad that this is, a, this is being released under the guise of a Joker DC film? Because, and I don't mean that in a snobbish way, but, like, it goes so far into doing such a good job of portraying, thanks to the way it's written and also to Phoenix's performance, to portraying someone with serious mental health issues, that the idea that you would call them a supervillain is really, really reductive. And I was sort of a bit conflicted, like, well, is that bad or is Phillips using, you know, the, the brand as a Trojan horse to get these d- this discussion seen by, you know, $200 million worth of cinema ticket sales, which is what's going to happen. And... Uh, get without getting too much into spoiler territory, there's actually, we'd slightly disagree on this, slight spoiler alert, I, I, I'm not even sure if he is the Joker. I, I think that there's an argument in the way the film unfolds that he's a Joker, he's not the Joker, that might allow it to escape uh, that criticism that you can't paint this this kind of illness as being um, super villainy because it's massively reductive. Uh, but in that sense, I, I thought it was really smart. I I do have some flaws with it, which we can kind of discuss if you want. But broadly speaking, I think it mostly sticks to its guns. I spent the last 10 minutes going, right, okay, now now end it there. Yeah. No, 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 end it. Oh, no, you've taken it a bit too far. End it there. And that's a shame. But I also think, especially if you compare it to something like... Uh, Logan which was a similarly um adult at least in terms of its depiction of violence take on the superhero genre i thought it stuck to its guns way more than that film and had way more to say uh, i do quite like Logan but it's it's kind of any commentary it has is a meta commentary on the superhero genre which is fine mm. i'm totally down with that i think this is more of a uh, meta commentary on not even a meta commentary i think this is more of a commentary on society and some really uh, dark issues to do with society particularly in america Uh, And I really applaud it for that.
1: Now, from that, what's interesting to me is that a couple of years ago, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing's, Missouri was met with backlash when sections of the public, whether they'd seen the film or not, decided that Sam Rockwell's character was inherently and irredeemably racist. And so the narrative around that film became, became that it's an apology for racists and racism. Fair enough. I went to see the film. I didn't get that at all. What no I saw way. was that Rockwell's character was a violent dipshit, an alcoholic with a nasty mother. Within the narrative, it's uh, acknowledged by most characters that he may have committed a beating to a to a, um, a suspect uh, out of racial motivation. That's just what people have said, and it's a film all about... The, the film's central conceit is is what people say real.
0: Uh, what should I'd, we believe? I go further than that. I think the film is about how redemption and uh or justice specifically is really hard one mm. and and it's so late it's so like all the way through the film he's presented with characters for whom have been hard done by somewhere by something or someone or some kind of cultural force and they can't their attempts to get retribution for it backfire massively yeah so it's yeah. bizarre that you would look at a film that depicts uh, uh, uh someone who has done something racist let's even just assuming they, they definitely did do it and go, oh, well, this film's endorsing that in some way. It's like, no, of course it's not. It's the whole point of the film is that none of these people are ever going to get justice for any of this stuff.
1: What I saw watching the film was Sam Rockwell tearing up a staircase, smashing Kelly Condon in the face, chucking, I think it's, Carol Landry-Jones out a fucking window. Yeah. Doing that to a white guy. um, The most shocking, profound, but shocking as well, act of violence in that film was that.
0: I think some of the criticism is to do with the idea of using it... Race. from what cause I, I've spoken to people who disagree with me on this slightly. And I think that the the issue is is that maybe it uses the racial thing as a mild plot point. But then I also think, like, race is something that... Uh, or racial issues are so, like, sown through all American culture... Through American culture. That would be very hard to make a film, even if it is just about white people, which it predominantly is. Mm. And for that not to be sort of bubbling under. So, personally, I don't have a problem with it being there.
1: And, yeah, and the writer is is an outsider to America, and it might be the case that America do- America doesn't have the capacity for an outsider to present America, as it's seen by everybody else, back to America, when it America itself uh, probably feels, or felt at the time, that it was getting along better than it was. But it takes a uh, London Irishman to say, hold on, well, this is what I see yeah. as an outsider. Uh, but going back to Joker, I-, I feel that already there's been seven or eight Think pieces and editorials in the Guardian, and the word on the street is that Joker. <laughs> the word on the street is that Joker is an incitement to alt-right violence. Uh, I don't see that in the film itself. We'll talk a bit more about the actual plot of the picture. I'm sure everyone is vaguely or, or almost through osmosis aware of what this film is and who Arthur Fleck is going to be. But I don't think this film is an incitement to alt-right violence. The first thing it said to me was that the poor should overthrow the rich, and so as I said to Aidan as we were coming away, I wondered whether there's a a media counter-narrative here, a media and an establishment which is nervous that people might go to this film and realise, hold on, we're all poor and some people have a lot more money, they don't give one tenth of a shit for us, let's go after them, which is something that was already explored in Dark Knight Rises, that people might see that and so the, the media narrative has become, stay away from this film, it's about something else. It's all the things you dislike. It's in, in promotion of racism and misogyny, and it's about incels.
0: Uh, it's, I honestly think you are sort of hitting it on the head as to why I don't think it's about right, <laughs> incel right. culture. Mm. Because it's sort of, and it's actually one of the slight criticisms I have. I was a bit baffled as to what the Kill the Rich subplot, the Kill the Rich movement subplot was supposed to be a commentary on. Yeah. I suspect that it's, um, I keep wanting to say Solons. <laughs> it's not Phillips. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. suspect it's Phillips maybe just being a bit intellectually lazy and going, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if, if the Joker's actions inspire some broad political movement? Mm. Um, I, I don't know, maybe that's fine, but I actually just thought it was a little bit ill thought through because it's called Kill the Rich. The only movement I can think of that it relates to is. Is, a, is um Occupy Wall Street. It's like a more exaggerated, violent version of that. Yeah. So I just was left a bit confused. It's like, well, is that even relevant now? I don't get it. And as you said, Dark Knight Rises sort of toyed with that idea anyway. Mm. Um, but, but at the same time, it does divorce it from the incel thing because the incel culture is about predominantly white, lonely men uh, kicking back at society uh, in a way that's often racially tinged, uh, often in a way that's just misogynistic. And both of those things do, do not apply to the Joker. Yes, he's like a lonely, you know, he's a lonely, disaffected male. But the way he's kicking back at the world struck me as more of a symptom of his mental illness than anything else. Which is why mm. I'm really baffled as to why we're not all talking about mental illness in America. I, I don't, I'm just baffled. I oh, well, I know sort of why. It's sort of because, uh, and we talked about this a bit after we came out the cinema, it's because people lionise the Joker as like being an anti-hero. Yeah. That's the first thing. So when people see the trailer for this and relate it to sort of DC fanboyism and maybe even a wider culture of like fanboys who like to go and trash any big blockbuster film that's starring a woman by gaming the Rotten Tomatoes score and they think this is a film for them. This is like their perfect fantasy but it's honestly not the film and anyone who's saying that or hasn't seen the film I'd really encourage them to watch it because it's not about that at all. I'm a little bit baffled by reviews that have still tied it to that uh, to incel culture, even having seen it, you, heard, you said something when we came out that it might be that in America, then just not as big up on mental health culture and talk as we are here. Mm. So that might go over the head slightly. It's baffling that it would, <laughs> considering how predominant that is in the first hour of the film. Do you know what I mean? You know, we're literally yeah. talking hallucinations. We're literally talking, you know, this, he's got this laugh that he, he does that does not reflect his emotional state. So he might accidentally have an awkward interaction with someone, and then start laughing, and it's got it's got nothing to do with the situation. It's just his. It's like almost like a specific form of Tourette's that he has, mm.
1: and he carries a card for it as well. Which is, I didn't know that people did that back in 1982. I know that people do it now. Interesting, but uh, yeah, I hadn't. Well, I hadn't actually, come that, that,
0: that. it's interesting to talk about that anachronism. I did wonder. There's a plot point in it where a home video is broadcast. A home video of Fleck performing some bombing at a stand up night is shown on a talk show. And I thought when I was watching that, that's very now. That's very. Ah,
1: but I saw the workaround on that. You may not have noticed it then. Uh, this is getting into a specific plot it's point. Plot points, so this I, is a bit spoilerish. Basically. I it, say it is a spoiler, though. It, so. it, it,
0: it reminded me of, like, you know, say if some big thing takes off on YouTube and then all the late night talk and stuff, hey, has everyone, has everyone seen this video of uh, yeah. X? I was like, would that have really happened with a home video? But that
1: was... The video that was shown was um, essentially CCTV stroke interior broadcast, closed circuit television for the comedy club featured in
0: the film, which is shown. You you may not have noticed it. That's another reason why I doubt it would happen, because as someone who works in comedy, I can't imagine a situation where any comedy club, specifically, especially in the UK... Would watch someone bomb on stage, which will happen potentially every time they have an open mic night every week, yeah. and then go, "God, we've got to send this into Graham Norton," I can... <laughs> or even even in America, we've got to send this into yeah. Letterman because he's going to he's going to love this. I Apart from anything that. else, all those talk show guys are ex comedians, and they're not going to they're not going to shit on. They're not going to go, "God, let's let's shit on this nobody comic who's just bombed at the." a comedy store. It just struck me as a really false beat in That's narrative. a good
1: argument against it. I yeah. accepted it and there's um one of the reasons I accepted it and one of the reasons why I accepted uh, Arthur Fleck moving from the comedy club so quickly to appearing on what's essentially the um, Jerry Langford show but it's what's yeah. called Murray Murray Franklin. It does feel like you die a hero or you live long enough to play the old version of, <laughs> of yourself in the remake of the film where you were once the young person and this time Robert De Niro sort of playing Jerry Lewis in King of Comedy. We're only
0: five years away from seeing a sitcom where the parents are played by Courtney Cox and David Schwimmer, or Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> we may even be closer,
1: yeah, because yeah. she's done Cougar Town already. So, yeah, yeah she's, she must be entering that age bracket or grandmother. Um, but it felt, it felt uh, real to me that... Um, Quackin' Phoenix's character Arthur Fleck performs and probably does very poorly at a comedy club. That is uh, shown on um, Robert De Niro's late-night chat show as a kind of candid camera goof. Then he's invited to appear on the chat show, but 1981, New York, this is a place where Andy Kaufman's doing very well. Outsider comedy was interesting. wasn't I'm not saying it was popular, and I'm not saying it was commercial, but it was definitely the case that by the end of the 70s and early 80s, the mainstream was ready to bring goofballs onto television to see what they'd do. And so I thought, with that in mind, that made sense. Uh, and, and that milieu made sense. You don't listen, to do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. I thought it was a, a welcome call to empathy. Absolutely. Now, it's it's typical of this kind of picture. It's the same with Goodfellas and many pictures that you could name where it builds up the hero and then it punishes you by deconstructing him and making him the villain. And that's what happens with Joker here. We grow to uh, not love him, but we grow to sympathise and empathise with Arthur Fleck. And he's had a shit life. And then in the last 40 minutes or so, he unravels and we all of our goodwill is challenged.
0: It's the reason why I like it, is I never thought of him as the villain. I always thought of him as the victim. Yeah. Of, of a society... Like, you know... It's, all, it's a bit on the nose. And it gets yeah. very on the nose in the second half. Uh, but, you know, you have the fact that his counsellor... He has to lose his counsellor because of local budget cuts and stuff like that. And it's very explicit that society is somehow failing this man. And yeah. it does not justify what he does but it just certainly makes it hard to victimise him as some kind of evil force, is what, is what I felt. Which is another reason why I feel it's baffling that people are trying to tie this to sort of incel culture. It's like, setting itself in the 80s is another way of divorcing itself from that, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, what you've said, it brings to mind another instance where, as a European, my reaction has found different conclusions to those drawn by the mainstream. Black Lives Matter... Black Lives Matter in the United States was the response to the killings of young black males by police officers. Uh, And my response to this is complex. It's not complicated, but it's complex. It's nuanced because things are, aren't they? Right, so number one young black males are not killed in numbers disproportionate to their involvement or suspected involvement in crime. When people see racism in the American police force, I see two things. I see number one, a number of police officers who don't have the temperament or the training to carry firearms. But number two, I don't see racism in individual police officers as the critical factor in those murders. I think the critical factor is racism in law enforcement. A nation's judiciary and law enforcement which is systemically, institutionally racist because it has criminalized drugs. And a society which criminalises drugs, it follows that they, that, that society criminalises disproportionately young black men, and that young black men will persistently be perceived by law enforcement as a threat. A threat which is not commensurate with what they're actually doing, which is in most cases um, either suspected of possessing cannabis or some other drug, or suspected of dealing cannabis or some other drug. So there's my, think, there's my thinking on it. My position on it is that the laws themselves are racist and prejudiced. It doesn't matter about those that are asked to execute them. It's the laws themselves that need to be changed. As, in terms of a response, I don't think removing guns is, uh, ach- is achievable or even desirable. I also don't think that you can eliminate racism within the citizenry. To a satisfactory level, but what you can do is decriminalise drugs, and if you decriminalise street drugs, then those people that use them and those people that sell them, those people that are suspected of using them, those people that are suspected of selling them, are no longer a threat to anyone because it's legal and they are no longer a police matter. And if you and honestly, I th- that's how I look at the problem. And then this situation here with um with uh. With Joker, with incel culture, with the alt-right, you immediately identified that it's a problem of mental health.
0: In the Joker? I'm not sure if the incel thing is a problem of mental health.
1: Yeah, it's partly. I remember I once saw a three... I I once saw a five-panel comic. I once saw a five-panel comic strip of if Breaking Bad was set anywhere except the US. Walter White's at the doctor's surgery, and the physician tells him, you have lung cancer. Waterwhite says, "Oh my God! However, will I pay for this? I'll be broke. My family is ruined." And the doctor says, "Don't worry, we wouldn't charge you for healthcare. What kind of barbarians are we?" Waterwhite says, "Great! I can continue to be a teacher. My uh, healthcare needs will be taken care of as a taxpayer with nationalised healthcare." And the final panel of the five-panel comic strip is a hat and a pair of sunglasses for sale in in the window of a little shop, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And and again, this film, I'm not saying, obviously, the NHS has many problems and it's been running to the ground over the course of, you could say, 60 years, certainly over the course of the last nine years, but uh, Joker would be a much shorter film in this country, and in most circumstances, you know, he would be unwell, he would receive the meds that he needs. (laughs) His mum would be unwell and infirm and she would receive the caretaking that she needs.
0: Yeah, it might not solve all the problems, but he certainly might not you know, it gets hold of a gun very early on. That's not a spoiler. Yeah, easy available. That wouldn't, yeah. that wouldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. the entire plot would not happen in the UK because, you know, to a certain degree, these people are cared for. Is our system perfect? No. But it's certainly not as bad as America. Yeah. And you certainly wouldn't get hold of, like, uh, a gun. And, and
1: so, what, what Aiden and I see to an extent is a film which is an indictment of certain American attitudes, whether it was in 19, early 1980s New York stroke Gotham, or whether it's now. We see it as an indictment... Of, is that fair to say of you? What is, sorry? That We see the film as, it, as an indictment of systems that have failed.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And
1: the, but, and the easy thing, the easy thing for critics, and the easy thing for people concerned with actually dealing with a real problem and solving it, is to say, oh, this is some white men that don't get laid enough.
0: Oh, God, yeah. It's a total... I'm just tired of that. I mean, as I say, I've seen people on Facebook dismissing it as some ultra-right uh, incel porn without having seen it. Uh, and I have read the odd review that sort of made the connection. B- baff- I'm absolutely baffled by it. Like, I just think only in the broadest sense could this have anything to do with incel culture. And that is literally that he is a lonely man. That's it. And hmm. as I say, like, it is so, he's clearly someone with a fucked up childhood and he's fucked up in the head and it manifests itself Physically and uh, emotionally in really obvious ways in the first half of the film, and mm-hmm. as a, and as a result, it's just it just baffles me that anyone could think that this is somehow <laughs> condoning.
1: Yeah, I mean, depiction like, is not
0: endorsement. Absolutely, and also, and, and even if even if it what I don't know, even if it was like a more of a direct commentary on himself thing, like it was set now and he wasn't mentally ill, he was just lonely, he just wanted to get laid. Even then, it's kind of hard to imagine how the film could possibly endorse that stuff. You know what I mean? Martin Scorsese is not responsible for John Hinckley trying to assassinate Robert, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is not responsible for copycat killings with a Clockwork Orange. And yet, we now seem to have got to a place in society where we're very keen to, especially like the young left, very keen to yeah. pin this. And that just really baffles me. You mentioned something earlier, which is like when we were young, it was laughable. That politicians condemned the Brass Eye pedophile special without having seen it, mm. and yet now it's rife. I'm just constantly seeing people going, "I'm not going to see that. It's just porn for insults, isn't it?" It's like, like, it's, you don't have to watch it. Yeah. But you also don't have to criticise it. I would really encourage you not to if you haven't seen it. That's I'm sure, and I'm sure there were going to be some legitimate criticisms out there. We saw it with a friend of ours today who disliked it. His reasons, I disagree with his reasons, but they seemed honest to him. Mm. He thought a lot of it was a bit root one psychology. Fair enough. I personally think all that stuff is very relevant considering what America's going through culturally, socially and politically. Uh, yeah, now it,
1: it wasn't Ken Loach but I think the, the criticism that our friend had of it was that it hit uh, it hit significant, obvious, almost rote beats to explain how this man's trajectory moves yes. in the way it does. This this fellow's decline and then triumph, if you could call it that. And our pal didn't like how obvious that was but I think that Firstly, it's a Hollywood film, so it does need to pander a little bit. It needs to m- make things there's more a, easily digested. There's a
0: twist two-thirds of the way through, and there's one subtle line that someone says, and you get it. You get it. All right, yeah, that's what's going yeah. on. But then, they then like a minute later, they spoon-free you a little bit. Did you get the twist? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's aspects uh... of that in the film that are a bit disappointing. It sort of taps into what I was saying earlier about there's a point where you go, right, end now, and it carries on for ten minutes, and you're like, oh, you fluffed it slightly. Yeah but these but these are small things or at least I would say its strengths are great enough that I can excuse some of the flaws in the film yeah and
1: that specifically is a flaw of cinematic technique and there was maybe a, there was only a couple there in the film in terms of screenwriting in terms of uh, plotting a character, I think that it was necessary to show these small impediments to him getting well again yeah um in in order for the plot to advance but also to speak with a megaphone to the audience.
0: And again, if you are... If he effectively is saying, I'm going to use the DC Universe as a Trojan horse to discuss a much bigger issue, then maybe you do need a megaphone. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. it stops people from then going, oh, let's see how he becomes the Joker. Because honestly, I wasn't even thinking that a I of in the film, because... Mm. It's almost not even an origin story because a lot of the things that are messed up about this guy happened way before the film even started. You come into it pretty much in the eye of the storm in terms of his mental state. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, um, yeah, the arguments against seeing it is the same. That comes from the same pathology of no platforming. Uh, this is an interesting one for me because I do agree that some people and their ideas are so dangerous that they shouldn't be heard. And I've chatted with friends about this, about how...
0: I mean, like Milo Yiannopoulos, those kind of people.
1: Not Milo, I mean, he's a a clown compared to someone like Farage, who is taken seriously. If Farage had been... (sighs)
0: Successfully no-platformed earlier, maybe... Yeah,
1: I must be careful with the language that I use, but if there had been no Nigel Farage the last eight years, six years, five years, and the next 20 years of British politics, European politics, and indeed the world... Would have been better, we would be living in a better reality had Nigel Farage not been around had we been in an alternate timeline had he not been granted the um, press coverage yeah, the press coverage and the the o- mainstream the the mainstream oxygen yeah. that he was Trump ex- as well yeah, like, because, because Trump's th- actually
0: an even better example because those earlier things if you think about his his entrance to the political scene, which was basically one a cons- further in a conspiracy theory about barack obama 's birth origins and then coming on the stage and going, Mexicans are rapists, well, some of them are okay. I, the media should look at that and go, don't broadcast this. He's not saying any, it's facile, yeah. it's not true, it's easily disprovable, let's just not broadcast it. And then his campaign never would have taken off. I mean, maybe he would have en- ended up with a different kind of idiot, but then maybe they mm. would have lost the election. I don't know. Aidan knows
1: that I'm astonishingly liberal in terms of what I will allow as a political discourse, but... I'm su- I'm constantly surprised that there's an argument that Donald Trump isn't racist when the first thing he ever said in the political arena was Barack Obama's not American because he's black. Yeah. That and it, I'm not even boiling it down. That's what yeah. he said. This man looks African so he must he he can only be African. I, I deny him American citizenship. He's not one of us. That's inherently racist yeah. and it's surprising that people are still having this argument and I don't mean the BBC but, I mean, there's, there is no argument about it. It doesn't matter what he did 40 years ago with tenement buildings in New York in 1979. He was racist when he said that Barack Obama isn't one yeah, of you us Yeah, you don't yeah. have to dig back to no, find the racism. It's, it's like, it's no, it's right in ra- front of us. Yeah. Um, and uh, what, what was the point I was making about no platforming? Yeah, so I agree that there are some politicians and some ideas which I think are so dangerous because they can gain traction with a segment of the mainstream that those ideas should not be heard. Uh, But I do not agree... I, broadly speaking, don't agree with no platforming and I don't agree that... I don't agree that uh, we should be shielded from opinions with which we disagree or that we might disagree. Most stuff should be debated. Some of the best... I mean, it's it's genuinely exciting to me and enjoyable when Aidan picks up on something I've said five weeks earlier... And then we you live it talk on the about quote it. things
0: you said years ago.
1: <laughs> I, I like that because Partly yeah. you can never remember what they <laughs> Yeah, <are. laughs> yeah. But additionally, it's good to have our I- ideas tested. And most of the time, I mean, it might be different in American politics, but most of the time, the idea that's being tested isn't um, all Lithuanians should be uh, held in internment camps and over a period of 10 years murdered. It's usually simply stuff like uh, uh, what does. What does the proliferation of transgender acceptance mean for the gains made by feminism? Yeah, let's have a, let's have yeah. a debate about that. Let's hear both sides of it, and then people will make up their own mind. You know what? The, most people are unlikely to say, "Well, I deny them personhood." You know what? They're not a citizen. They don't get a pension. They don't get a job. They don't get any of the rights I do. Stick them in Madagascar. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And and the people who would think that they're the people that you could never reach anyway. The, the you know the um the extremes, the extreme three percent at each end.
0: A, I just googled because it occurred to me, I mean, who is talking about the mental health aspects of this film, which is literally what the film's about. Yeah. And it's it is depressing. So it's been talked about. Top Google result. if you type Joker mental health, right. Top result: Deseret News. What's that? That famous news outlet. <laughs> Joker controversy, how violence overshadows the a mental health discussion. Metro. Yeah. Joker paints a raw and necessary view of mental illness. Good. Ten daily an Australian site focusing on Joker's violence undermines a powerful portrait of uh, mental health issues, and that's kind of it. Uh, but, how did, but this is the thing. But well, this is the There was one. Joker, made... Guardian actually have something called Joker. Joker makes great disability art by letting its hero bite back. I'd uh, be interested to see where that goes. Uh, Salon says. I'm maybe not going to quote it because it was from April, so therefore they haven't seen it. But the point is, it's being discussed, but not by many people. The fact that the Metro, globally, the London Metro newspaper, seems to be the biggest publication I can find that's mentioning this. That's disturbing. I don't know why it's not a bigger issue. It's literally what the film's about. It'd be like if, I don't know, 12 Years a Slave came out and we weren't talking about slavery. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Or Moonlight came out and we weren't talking about homosexuality. Hmm. Or, like, the slums. It's like... It's literally what, it's literally the body of the film, and we're talking about something that is only very tangentially related to it, and, it's, and it's, I find it really odd.
1: This reminds me of the picture Observe and Report. Did you see that one yeah. by Jodie Hill and Ben Best? It's the uh, uh, companion to Paul Blart Mall Cop, that year where there were somehow competing <laughs> films about Mall Cop. <laughs> so Seth Rogen, no is, uh, Seth Rogen plays uh, Ronnie Dobbs, and it's essentially a film about a bloke who goes off his meds. And it was explicitly meant to be perceived as... What if Taxi Driver were more of a comedy? What would it be like if... Uh, you know, because the, there's in, uh, there's innumerable Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler style comedies... All featuring those very actors. Where people who should be medicated aren't. And we see it in a funny way. And what Ben Best and Jodie Hill said was... What if we did a more realistic but nevertheless blackly comic portrayal... Of a bloke who stops taking his medicine... Well, it'd be fucking carnage. <laughs> and uh, similarly, Todd Phillips has done this before. Old school, the more you look at it, the more it's quite like a comic fight club. Yeah. Because oh, the, the fraternity in old school is obviously inherently um, male and performed in secret, uh, excludes women. Uh, there's at least a dozen commonalities between old school and fight club. And t- this is one of the reasons I had some hope for Joker, because I remember uh, 15 years ago at the time, Todd Phillips said of old school, yeah, you know, I was thinking about fight club with this. I think it touches similar themes of... Blokes being together to figure out how to be men in the twenty first century—a twenty first century which, um, number one, doesn't physically require men either as uh, either to make babies or to protect women for the preservation of the species, or even to lift things up anymore because we, you know, we're post post-industrial. But um, secondly, a twenty first century which it's now Aidan might disagree, but it's now accepted that men should be excluded from the from conversations. And I don't mean in freedom of speech terms, but I mean demonising men, demanding the exclusion of men and removal of men from the discourse. That's, over the last seven or eight years, become an, an accepted mainstream position of the left. And, and yet it's only the only proponents of it, the only serious proponents of it, are a, a radical minority amplified by Twitter and uh, a mainstream media... Um, increasingly craven to what 24-year-olds are talking about. And whenever that opinion receives airtime, it makes me think about Rwanda, it makes me think about Nazi Germany. Even if this were a war, when the war's finished, you don't exterminate the opposition, the enemy must be reintegrated back into society. I don't think people are... I think the people who talk in those terms, they're not considering what's to be done with men long term. Now, when feminists talk about the patriarchy and how it's their intention to overthrow it with what I think would be a matriarchy, which was just as uh, poisonous as the patriarchy, uh, it's replacing male chauvinism with female chauvinism. But anyway... That's
0: not always their intention.
1: Oh, no, no, but... um, There's a
0: difference between equality and just replacing it
1: with a... Part of my argument, part of my concern is always uh, at the end of a war, you must prepare for peace. And a piece has to involve characters like Arthur Fleck and Joker. It has to involve these marginalised types that don't really have necessarily any um, any utility to the modern world. But what
0: what's the alternative? Eugenics, you know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> in as far as you've gone way off topic, although I do admire you try to bring it back to me. Well, but that sort of ties to... into what I like about it, because you're saying, yeah, Fleck has no u- utility in society, but that doesn't mean you should be entirely disregarded. Otherwise, you're going to end up with... Problems. Yeah, it, well, I mean,
1: I, I think there's a few people who might have, I think I've made the point adequately. I probably need to think of another way to put it, but besides that point is the notion that um, anybody that's excluded will eventually find someone who includes them.
0: And yeah. we, that you which and I... This is what intel culture is. Yeah, and, and, and intel culture is... I don't know if anyone watched that document from BBC recently. It's more... It's more... It's got more colour and it's more interesting... Than I don't mean racial color. Yeah. So it's got it's more interesting and varied than a few people who want to drive cars into people and shoot their schoolmates. Yeah. A lot of it is just lonely men looking for a place to vent. It's not always healthy aspects of unhealthy and others. There's people just who are writing misogynistic poems, and then that there are other people who are talking about committing violence. But but it sort of backs up what you're saying. They'll go somewhere.
1: Exactly. And and I think it's our responsibility. I don't mean Aidan and I as individuals, although, you know, when we... This is the funny thing. At at a personal level, anybody who sees a friend having a bad time, you immediately try to include them in stuff, don't You You bring them closer before they push you away. Maybe they're trying to push you away, but you bring them closer. But it's our responsibility as compassionate liberals and left-leaning folk to make sure... That if someone comes to you and says something like uh, and says something like, "You know what I mean I've seen more immigration done to my town and uh, i'm not I'm not really sure about the benefits of it. I know a nice Polish family, but it feels like they're taking all the jobs. If you say to them you're a racist you 're a xenophobe, you're a bigot, and that's the end of our friendship. What they're going to do have no friends no they're going to find someone that they'll look for someone who." Uh, Accepts them for their ideas, and they're likely to fall into the hands yes. of the right wing. I agree. And with those it. people are those people are redeemable. They're I will say it's,
0: it's a hard, it's hard, it's a hard thing to deal with in real time. Do you know what mm. I mean? Because you you do want to express your anger, at, uh, uh, say horrible ideas, racist ideas, misogynistic ideas. But at what point are you pushing someone away? I, I remember at school, a friend of mine. Uh, I think he punched his girlfriend, and obviously, crikey, yeah, this did not go down well and uh, no one was speaking to him except me and one other guy and the only reason I was speaking to him I was just genuinely worried what he might do if there was literally no one talking to him and it was not an endorsement of his things it was just like I'm here if you if you need it
1: it's taken it's it's a given that the left has a holistic attitude to so many things particularly uh, rehabilitation of criminals for instance we don't just string them up We send them to prison. We try to get them out of prison in a better state than they went in. But when it comes to individuals, when we're talking about disenfranchised, uh, lonely, and if we put it in reasonable terms like useless, white males, they're considered irredeemable. Um, They're worthless. That's not the left-leaning liberal compassion which I believe in. I I, I think that you just have to keep going. It's, It's kind of a Christian value, isn't it, essentially? Like whatever you do, you can still be saved. There is still a place for you, and we have to keep believing in that. And I know it might be surprising to hear all of this coming out of seeing the film Joker, but it's because of the conversations around it as well, I think. and, and Yeah,
0: so the, well, our conversation is both a reaction to the film and a reaction against the conversation in the film, which we yeah, think is a little yeah. bit wrong-headed. Um, I'm really glad we did this podcast, because up until a few months ago, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to see it. I was yeah. just like, it's another Joker reboot. Phoenix has me sort of interested. I'm really, really glad I did. And I'm really glad we scheduled in this chat because it's like, I want to put something out there. Just to, I'm not that, you know, I'm not sure what a reach is, but even just something putting out somewhere say, ignore all this bullshit. Mm. <laughs> You're hearing about alt-right stuff. This is a really interesting film and it would be worth changing the conversation o- on it. It really would.
1: Because I think... We need to understand those individuals that will otherwise fall through the cracks just as we would try to seek. And the weird thing the, is like, what makes people turn to drugs and drink.
0: And the weird thing all is sorts. even in America, if someone with a mental health issue went someone and shot a place up, there would be sympathy. The left of America would be like, "This is why gun laws are wrong. this is why we need to change things. This was a troubled individual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yet, weirdly, that's not being applied to this film, even though it's literally a dramatisation. Well, yeah. No, actually, no, it's literally a dramatisation, roughly, of what I was just saying, which is a troubled man starts being violent. I said something earlier to you. I think part of the problem is, I think in society society now, people don't like liking things that their enemies like. Yeah, yeah. There was an article in The Guardian. It was fairly well-meaning, I suppose. It was talking about the lack of racial diversity in the film Dunkirk. But it started off by saying the film Dunkirk, open bracket, which, by the way, Nigel Farage loves, close bracket. And it fucked me off so much because it was literally daring the reader to like something that Farage likes. Do you know what I mean? Like me and Nigel Farage couldn't both like the film Inception. Do you know what I mean? A fairly non-political film. And, but that's because people don't like... And that's what you're seeing online when you see people on Facebook going, don't want to watch that, it's incel porn. Because they don't want to like something that someone who is an incel might also like. Because, but, yeah, I, but I'm not yeah. even sure if incels would like this. Because I think there's going to be a lot of them now going into this film thinking, great, let's watch a lonely man shooting people up. And they're going to be a bit taken aback by, you know, yeah. what the film is actually saying, personally. And, yeah,
1: because it, what the last 10 years of social media have created successfully is a set of silos in which, now, when you and I and our pals talk to one another, the things the things I value from our friendships and our interactions you is... You value our friendship? I, indeed I do, and it's because we make each other laugh. That's something that we value. We make each other think, and we share ideas about films and about cinema. But there are silos where you're rewarded simply for virtue signalling. You're rewarded for hating on a particular uh, class of individual where that's the coup kudo- that you get kudos you earn your kudos through that not through artistic integrity or through acts of kindness just through saying i hate the same things you do we can all pile on this bloke who's wearing a shirt that offends me because it's got leather goddesses on it uh, you know i'm talking specifically about the bloke who landed the thing on the fucking comet and went on television oh and said, yeah here we go human history no one's ever done this before and then eight people on Twitter said, yeah, but his, uh, his shirt was sexist. <laughs> and I thought, you're rather missing the point here. What you've just talked about, I had in person very recently. Thorpe and I went to a wonderful evening of P.G. Woodhouse at the British Museum. And at the end, Jacob Rees-Mogg was there. Really? In person, so you're uh, awful because you like something. Well, this is the this is the odd thing. We uh, the, the thing finished. We were there for an hour ninety minutes, and it was a, a combination of live performances of songs that he'd written the lyrics for. I think Cole Porter was involved in some of those. There was um, some recitals of some of his letters uh, and passages from his books. Really lovely stuff. And at the end, I, lo- uh, I we were leaving. I looked to my left, and I saw, and thought in my head. Man, that ten-year-old looks like a tiny Jacob Rees smog. Look at him, yeah. poor lad. And then I looked to his right and realised, fuck me. And then for the next three and minutes... Yeah, there, there
0: he was, slouching on her chair.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And for the next bit of time, I wondered to myself, first I thought, should I deck him? I <laughs> know you're never ever going to deck him. And then I thought, there's nothing I could say to that bloke that is ever going to change his mind about anything other than plausibly my presence as an ostensibly working class left union affiliated fellow might make him think well shit if we've got this common ground maybe I'm wrong about the plebs but mainly I just felt um uncomfortable and it was it was funny to see somebody and because I knew that Jacob Rees-Mogg must like P.G. Woodhouse and Jeeves and Worcester for some of the reasons I do that was an interesting experience for me to have because it's rare that I She's someone who you violently disagree I, yeah, with. Yeah, I suppose some people might have that, you know, David Cameron's been spotted at Glastonbury and such, but most of the time it's a, a very generic occasion, whereas yeah. with Woodhouse it was very specific, and I thought, fuck, I like the same things as this yeah. guy. <laughs> but that's what? fine. And it is all right. It is
0: all right. And I'm sure that Stephen Fry... You're not endorsing <laughs> his politics by liking the same novels. They, Stephen
1: Fry and Hugh Laurie would have been disappointed to see him there, because uh, they're, they're both... Um, Stephen Fry's probably even more lefty than I. But, um... Let's, while we're letting the uh, the themes of the film and the press reaction to it percolate in our minds, before we run out of time, let's talk briefly about the actual film, because I don't want this to be overshadowed. Firstly... Oh, the La- technical aspects of it. Yeah. Lawrence Cher's cinematography was great. He's worked yeah. with Todd Phillips a few times before, and it looked just as I had hoped it would look. It wasn't... I mean, it started with the old Warner logo, yes, which you might also see in Superbad, but uh, it wasn't trying to ape... Uh, A vague, non-specific '70s aesthetic. It had its own look, and it looked lovely. Yeah, it did. I thought it looked terrific. Um, And the direction by Phillips was also spot on. Nothing he's done, nothing he's done dramatically, suggested that he could pull off a film like this with the relative aplomb he has. I don't want to shower it too much. I don't want to praise it too much. We both
0: agreed it's got some flaws. Yeah, and it's definitely. I think this is definitely the more narrative, though, than aesthetic. Aesthetically, I'd say it's pretty solid all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, and Phoenix, I mean, what more can be said? He's a brilliant actor, one of the best of his generation, if not the best. This does nothing to disprove that. He's yeah. absolutely fantastic in it.
1: Terrific face acting, like the master. Yeah. Terrific face right acting. Right from the
0: get-go on well, I'm pretty sure the opening shot of his face is like... Yeah. You get to use some of that classic face acting you get from Phoenix. Now,
1: one thing that we did agree with, uh, my pal and I, our pal and I did... One thing that our pal and I did agree on... Our pal and us, our pal and we. <laughs> yeah, we go for that one. There must be a German word like Unserul. But uh, the score, I like the score. It didn't pull its punches so often. And this isn't a negative criticism, but we're so used to scores these days being that Hans Zimmer style wine. And uh, in so many dramatic pictures, in order to emphasise, in order to show that this is serious, there'll either be no score or something dissonant in the background. But this went with a proper orchestral, like- a, a full-throated orchestral score I really liked that it that it was
0: unapologetically orchestral, yeah. in its score, so they did well on that one. It also didn't I was slightly paranoid, especially as I'd heard about the use of the Gary Glitter song when he's dancing on the stairs. oh has, oh <laughs> I, I was, hadn't I was a bit paranoid that the score might inadvertently no actually no, not even I was worried the score might advertently try and glamorize him. do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was imagining going into it it was going to have some beautiful strings as he was like mowing down. I don't know, commuters with a machine gun. That's not something that happened in the yeah, film. Yeah. But, you know, that's just what I was thinking going in. And didn't. Yeah. It? Actually, you're right, it was a full-on score, but it was, it was the, the score was never... I don't think the score ever was glamorising or romanticising what he did. You could maybe call it a romantic score in the sense that there's something classical about it, but I don't think it romanticised the, the actions. It seems to yeah. recognise that what you're watching is a bit of a tr- is a tragedy more than anything else.
1: the set design I think on that mid-range budget of 50 to 60 million they successfully created a city on the edge not one that had tipped over into dystopia it felt real 40 years ago New York and part of its world building which I liked and which is the same technique as used by Tarantino once upon a time in Hollywood television and radio and news media are used to tell us exactly the, the situation the city finds itself in, so it, it doesn't follow the show don't tell, It's uh, some of the time it's tell don't show, but I think that works because the film is also packing uh, a social commentary and uh, a level of mordant satire on mainstream media and it's hysterical reaction to the joker killings and Mainstream media's part in creating Joker, a, a profound impact in in uh, giving inspiration to Arthur, and in creating a movement around him. Just one bloke, he he does he does so little of that himself, and it's uh you you could easily point to over the last twenty years how mainstream media has continually identified, talked up and proliferated the names of spree shooters. It's only in the last two and a half, three years that finally uh, the expert advice has been taken on that and some more responsible news organisations are are, are choosing to publish the name once and once only or never mention it at all, which is what Jacinda Ardern did in New Zealand. But going back to the set design, I was satisfied with that on first viewing. It didn't feel gratuitous. It didn't present uh, tableaus of pimps, prostitutes, junkies, homeless... It was more. It was more subtle than that. What instead was generated was the mood of a dysfunctional city on the edge of collapse, ready to collapse, set to collapse because of chronic underinvestment and neglect, and a, a level of pain, but not one which was. It wasn't presented in a um, an overall
0: urban horror manner.
1: But what was evoked wonderfully was a really shitty New York in 1981. Yeah, I got a the bit, edge of I got something. pounded
0: early on. It was going to be a little bit Trumpian, and it was going to yeah. be like buy into uh, uh, some sense of like this is what cities are still like now, which isn't true. Uh, but actually, because it was a period piece, itself so it was kind of fine, and got away with it. Yeah, uh, and New York, really- and also as I say, divorces it from incel, any discussion about incelness, because it's not about now; it's about. When it's set then, but the mental health issue is still relevant now, as I guess yeah. I would say.
1: And New York really was like that. This is The reason for cinema, such as Escape from New York and The Warriors is because New York was on a precipice in that late 70s, early 80s period, that dirty Times Square, which you still see even in the like Ghostbusters. Even stuff
0: like Taxi Driver. And- yeah,
1: yeah, it was a shithole. And it's a place I've read extensively. That sounds just terrible, but I'm going to continue. I have read extensively on the subject of <laughs> that um, 1970s New York, um, well before Do the Right Thing. But pre-Giuliani pre Cleanup, it was a place in which people kept on their person mugging money. In the event of getting stuck up, because they knew they would. They had their purse somewhere else, but they had an easily available $20 to give out to muggers. It had descended into uh, the kind of. It descended into something approaching the filthy, grotty criminality that we see in Joker. It was an unpleasant, unsafe place to be. And I think another thing Joker does well is that um, it suggests. uh, It suggests what if Thomas Wayne isn't the hero? This time, in this, you know, in this interpretation yeah. of, of, the, of the story. What if Thomas Wayne isn't the hero? What if he's just another wealthy industrialist who thinks he knows what's best, who doesn't care for the poor people? What would that feel like if you're one of those people, if you're one of those poor people? Yeah. And it, no, Nolan touched upon all of that well, but this executes that nicely too. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm very pleased on first viewing.
0: Me too. And, uh, Side stuff. I it'll, it'll be interesting to, to see what sal- uh, it's not salons. What <laughs> although, if you haven't seen any Todd Salons films, do they're very good. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting to see where he goes from here. Does he snap back to comedy, or does he basically do what? Uh, who's the guy that did uh, The Big Short? I forgot his name. McKay. McKay, Adam McKay. Yeah. Adam McKay carried on with that, although admittedly in a slightly disappointing way. I wasn't impressed by Vice. No. But it'll be no. interesting to see if he. Uh, Thinks, can I reapply this somewhere else? Because this is can into- I make a penguin origin film that's like <laughs> a commentary on how we treat disfigured people in society, uh, or I don't know. I mean, they've actually. I mean, I'm glad we didn't talk about superhero stuff that much because it's actually the least. It's the least interesting aspect of the of the film. Yeah, and that yeah. it's barely even about that anyway, so we shouldn't be discussing it. Yeah, I did read one review which said this might. Be the tipping point for a very bad point in filmmaking culture where now if you want to make the modern day taxi driver, you have to do it under a franchise banner you know are we going to get is the next brief encounter or lost, trans- lost in translation going to be about the vision and Scarlet Witch's trip to Tokyo do you know I me? Mean. yeah yeah and I'm paraphrasing another review with that yeah. that arguably is a bit of a problem arguably but I also think you can only judge this film on its own terms and I think on its own terms it largely succeeds if you want to make
1: a, a picture which shows New York, and I know it's Gotham, but let's just call it what it is. It's it's New a, it's York. Effect, yeah, if you want to show New York in 1982 with the land that Todd Phillips succeeds and with just having... You need that budget to yeah. show city blocks, to That's show everything. Yeah. It really does feel having like said it. that,
0: like we are getting to a point now where you can, on a not-bigger budget, have a pretty decent, big establishing shot of a period place. Yeah. So I actually watched Lost City of Z, one of your favourites, yeah. first time this week. Absolutely brilliant. And... There's a great shot where they're coming off the boat in that film, and you see hundreds of people like waving as, as he's coming off the boat when he gets back from his first trip oh, yeah, out. Yeah, and I thought of Titanic. <laughs> yeah, with a very similar shot, and I thought you can do this on a thirty million dollar budget now. It looks great. Yeah, uh, so yeah. maybe you are getting to a point when you could, be, but but certainly with a level of commitment and detail, yes, they needed a big budget to get what you see in this film, and that's laudable.
1: You know, people are going to see this picture and they're going to think about stuff. It has a point of view. Yeah, it, and it. Uh, I usually don't like
0: the word relevant, but it is relevant.
1: Thank you very much for joining us on The Evening Glass, where we've sought to pull the plug on the histrionics around Joker and focus the conversation back to its actual themes and its filmmaking and a very strong central performance by Joaquin Phoenix. We'd like to hear your opinions on the film, and indeed your opinions on our opinions on the film. You can do that through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Come to our website, onesensationalshot.com. In fact, you might be listening to this very podcast using that website. If not, then it's likely you're on Stitcher, or Spotify, or iTunes. Our podcast is available on all those platforms. Coming attractions for your diary. We'll be getting out to the flicks to check Good Posture by Dolly Wells. That's opening this week. Jake Scott's American Woman. Farming by Adewale Akenoyu Agba Jay. Ang Lee's Gemini Man. Might be worth a shot, Will Smith fighting Will Smith, but Mary Winstead's in it too. And Benedict Wong, you may have noticed. There's only one Chinese Englishman in the future, and it's Benedict Wong in what feels like nine different films up to this point. Chris Morris's new picture, The Day Shall Come, is also opening this week. We've been waiting for that literally since four lions Shankar roots in a new film by billy sinise i don't know anything about it it's called the dead center and opening on friday october 18th the new oliver assayas non-fiction the peanut butter falcon looks very interesting directed by tyler nilsson and michael schwartz more good work from shia labeouf a fantastic cast dakota johnson our boy johnny hawkes our boy johnny Bernthal, bruce stern thomas hayden church and there's even room somehow for wrestlers mick foley and jake the snake roberts who lived in Norwich for a time. Zombieland is back, Zombieland Double Tap, and produced by Brad Pitt and Plan B Entertainment, and directed by Joe Talbot, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Those are the films that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. Thank you very much, and we hope you'll join us again soon.